Uh, these two need no introduction. I was not planning on this. I got a word of knowledge, looked down at my phone. Tennyson had sent a message that's something that the Holy Spirit had shown you during worship to me and Sean. And you sent me and Wendy a message this past week that I wanted to film. And I'm like, you know what? I just want to tell the story this morning. So I want, let's start it this way. Want, tell me the message you sent me and Wendy of what the Father has shown you two from way back in the day on First Fruits. Um, yeah, I had sent had a message earlier this week and just wanted to share a testimony about First Fruits. Um, Tennyson and I, back when we first got married, we've been married 21 years now, um, and we worked in the inner city. We were youth pastors, and we had nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean we made $50 a week. And there came a season where we not only had two under two, but we also brought in a 15-year-old. And it got to the point where we didn't even have food in our cabinets. And the Lord really challenged me in that season to just really trust him in our first fruits. And we began to tithe. Um, We had already always believed in the principle of tithing, but just really being purposeful about it. And weeks had went on, and we didn't have anything. And um, one day, this guy shows up with a pickup truck full of groceries. And him and his Royal Ranger troop had been collecting them for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, um, and it was just a testimony of what the Lord, the Lord had seen all along what our need was. But then I began to teach um, Dave Ramsey. And again, we still had nothing. And um, just started to really begin to look at what does it look like to be responsible with what we do have. And the Lord challenged me to not only tithe what we had, but to tithe what we needed. Because we were upside down. Every time we looked at our money, it was like, well... I'd love to make a budget if we actually had money to make a budget with. And um, the Lord said, try me. And so we began to tie them what we needed. And within a matter of, I don't even know, a couple of months, like the Lord just completely turned it around to where we began tithing more than what we were tithing in faith. And um, so, yeah. And so this morning, what, the way I read your word is we, if we're not careful, we can lock heaven up, up over us by not going in with first. What was the word you had? So the word that I just saw, I saw the Lord handing out keys. Um, and what he said to me was that um, he's given us keys to unlock things um, that we either locked up or that the enemy is locked up. Um, but it can only become unlocked as we give him our first fruits and in everything. And so the more first we give him, whether that be tithe, time, money, children, whatever, the more that that one key will unlock. That's pretty good. Let's give these two a hand this morning. Thank you. I want to give you a few practical things. You may want to write these down to try the Father on to see if he is who he says he is. Give him the first waking minutes of each day around the word. Just give him five minutes. Start with five. So as soon as you wake up, five minutes, give them the first day of your week. Give them something that costs you something. If, if you do fitness, make that first day of the week your hardest workout. Give them the first day of your month. First fruits financially before you pay anything. And then I dare you to do this. I dare you to do Literally, one day a week, do a Sabbath. That is not a new book that I just read. It has been in the Creator's heart. He rested. Father rested. 
Do those things and watch what God does. Did, uh, Janelle, you said up here, did the, did the father say, try me? Try me. Try him. That's good. That is awesome. Well, before I, I get into some first fruits stuff, I want to share a word I got yesterday that was confirmed by someone I'm discipling. They had a dream yesterday afternoon. I don't think this person takes many naps. I got a word at 9.54 a.m., and then I had a dream, uh, uh, someone I'm discipling had a dream, and then I had a conversation with a spiritual father in my life between services. I'm going to show you how real God is. This is what, because I think it'll help you as you grow in the prophetic. This is what the father showed me at 9.54 a.m. He said, never use the prophetic. He wanted me to actually give this warning to the staff tomorrow. So I, we're, I'm going to do a coaching session tomorrow on clarifying some vision. This is what he said. Never use the prophetic as a weapon. A sign of humility is that you get way more warnings for yourself than for other people. Don't ever be the police. God does not need anyone to carry a burden for someone else's blind spot. Getting the word and carrying the burden are two different things. If you carry the burden past a certain point, it is an indication that you carry a Messiah complex. Focus on you and Abba. I notice in prophetic cultures, well, there's not many prophetic cultures that I'm around, but in, in this prophetic culture, if the enemy knows he cannot get someone in their character, what he will do is begin to push and to try to make you feel the burden of things that you see prophetically. So um, I'll just say who it was. Joe Reynolds, raise your hand over there. Someone I disciple. Joe Reynolds had a dream yesterday afternoon. And in the dream, there were these Jeremiah prophets that felt compelled to always give me warnings and to give this house warnings. Is that true? Is that, is that, is that ballpark what it was about? People feeling compelled to give warnings? Yes. Yeah, that's the gist of it, right? I know we could... They said that they were Jeremiah's, but God said that they weren't. And then I had a conversation with a spiritual father between services... Here, here's what I'm noticing because I want this to be a teachable moment. As you grow with the Father, you should actually grow in the prophetic but not feel the need to carry the burden that only Jesus is intended to carry. Carrying a burden to warn people all the time may seem deeply spiritual. It's actually the highest form of pride. Because you're placing yourself in the seat of the Savior you were never intended to carry. You should be able to get prophetic words, give them to Abba, and go eat you some peanut butter. Amen. People that say they're highly prophetic and are always working under burden, you're not as prophetic as you think. I may not be able to get a prophetic word right now, but I can read the written word. His yoke is easy. I have actually learned this through trial and error in the position that I am. The Father will tell me things almost every day. And I have learned to do this. Thank you. Back to you. And then pray for the person, the organization, the thing that God is showing me about. If I take the word, even if it's for your spouse, your boss, your child, and it, and it becomes heavy, I'm just going to say it. You have forgotten who you are. Yeah. 
There's one that died on Calvary. That's where the word's coming from. And that person, bad English, you understand, ain't you. You actually can be a happy intercessor and a very light uh, prophetic voice. You can. You can be light. It should not be causing you sleepless nights. Sorry. I just want to help you. I want you to be blessed. If you always feel like you got to warn people, you may be the object of your own desire. And see, here's the way that the enemy will spin it in people. They will spin it as justice. It's an injustice for me to remain quiet. It's, I, have to, I have to just continue to warn and, and help. Let God be God. All right. I am really excited. It's, I feel light in here. I'm glad to be here. I went to the beach this week with my wife. My back is itching right now because I didn't put on enough sunscreen. I want to just continue to scratch my back. You know, laying out in the sun is a very awkward, odd thing. I thought about this week. I broke it down, really, like on a whiteboard-type session. Imagine you going to the mall, sitting in a parking lot, and doing what you do at the beach. <laughs> Paying $15 for a bottle of sunscreen, rubbing it all over your body, sitting in a chair at the mall outside in the sun. You would get arrested. <laughs> but being at the beach this week, it's like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I sitting in the sun? I'm itching. I'm red. White people can be very strange. <laughs> do you ever just break down what, like what we do? You pay money to go to a sand, find the sun, move your chair every two hours. What are we doing? Go to the Greenville Zoo today. Do that in the middle of the zoo. Take your chair, your sunscreen. Watch what happens. But you go do that at the beach, it's like, that's not a problem. You're half naked, putting lotion all over your body and looking for the sun. And somehow it makes sense. Maybe that's just me. I want to go to a fun little passage where Saul gets anointed by God and then takes his anointing and says, thank you for the anointing, God. Now I'm going to do it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra is terrible theology for one of God's kids. Burger King is awful theology. Does anyone eat at Burger King anymore? If you've eaten at Burger King in the last month, raise your hand. We're going to stone you out in front of the church. You really have? You've eaten at Burger King. Really? Raise your hand again. Five, five sinners in this house. Have you really? You got Zaxby's, Chick-fil-A, and you're going to choose Burger King. A French croissant at Burger King. That's more stupid than going to the beach half naked and putting lotion on everybody. I'm in the mood for some French cuisine. I know where I'll go. Because I guarantee you that's authentic. You know what I love to do? It drives my wife crazy. I love to go to fast food places and order other stuff off other menus at their menu. I love it. As for a Whopper at Arby's, watch what happens. Because I promise you, they know, what you, they know where it's from. Go to Chick-fil-A and say, I want some insane wings. They'll say, it is not my pleasure. Y'all done got me distracted. All right. First Samuel. Just, everybody wants to get anointed. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean much. You can take that anointing and abide in the devil while the father is like, I anointed you and you're... 
you're doing the opposite of John 15, 1 through 5. The whole point of being one of God's kids is to abide in Abba. Jesus abided in Abba. He still does. And so how do I say this politely? As Sean Curtis said this morning, even in the new covenant towards the end in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, and, and obey all that I have commanded you. Everyone say commanded. There are principles in the kingdom that are commands. They're not suggestions. And when we don't abide in them, we wonder why disorder comes into our lives when in his mind, it never was a suggestion in the first place. It was a command. You you know what makes me sad about y'all's testimony this morning? Why does that have to be the exception and not the norm? It doesn't make sense to me. But the the principles of first fruits, first of all, they're fail-proof. They promise a blessing but we treat it as casual because I'm in the new covenant. I'm free now, brother. You're not as free as you think you are. The closer you walk in friendship with God, you actually have lesser rights. I'm free theologically from the dominion of the evil one. I'm as clean as Jesus. But when it comes to his missional command on my life, his command is a command. Military understands this a lot more than a lot of God's kids. We have so many opinions. Well, there are, there are principles in the old covenant that should still be in my life in the new covenant. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? And so I'm going to read a very bizarre passage. I wish I had an hour. If I did, I would even go into when Saul talked to a witch to get advice. That's a great idea. And so uh, instead, I, I want to, let's just go for it here. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. This is better than chocolate cake right here. I love this passage. This is the scariest passage to me in the entire Bible. He is the king of Israel, guys. Now, God never wanted him to be king. It's not because God's narcissistic. You want to know why? Because God's an intimate lover. He wanted to be the lover of Israel, the provider of Israel. The father is wired as a protector. All good dads are are prone to protect. The sign of a healthy father and a husband is you're wired to protect. I got a conversation coming up with one of my kids this week before I go to England to do some ministry. And it's just a, it's just a good protection conversation because that's what good fathers do. So he's not saying, Hey, I don't want Saul to be your King because I'm narcissistic. He just, God is wired to be our supplier, our source, our everything. And so Saul, he says, all right, if you keep pushing God for something you want, you better be careful because sometimes he'll give it to you and it's not going to go well. He knew from the beginning, this ain't going to go well, but you want a king? All right, watch this. I'll give you a king like y'all are used to. Bring me someone tall and handsome and gives them the anointing. Saul was tall and handsome. The short, ruddy ones are always better. <laughs> you laugh where I could even get that out of my mouth. Okay, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people of Israel. Now, therefore, this is the best advice you'll ever be given the rest of your life. Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Everybody wants to grow in the prophetic. Very few people want to grow in the area of being obedient to the words you're hearing from heaven. If you're hearing words from heaven and not being obedient to them, you'd be better off not hearing them. Because when God gives a command and you willingly or out of ignorance, don't do what he's saying. Doesn't matter to him. It's not going to go well. 
one of the most dangerous teaching, the most dangerous teaching I have ever seen in my lifetime, and it's on the earth right now, is the perverted grace. I'm free, brother. He's my buddy Christ. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it. It's just not true. Even in a new covenant, this principle applies. When he commands it, just do it, and it will always go better for you. There's going to be chaos come for all of us. You'd rather have chaos in the middle of order than chaos in the middle of disorder. If he's not first in every area of my life, then he's not the master of my life. And it's possible to be a believer, but not to be a laid down lover disciple to where I'm, I'm all in with him. Can we show the slide, the one, where you, the, the one I, that we started off with, that little, that little quote? Rule number one, never make God number two. If you can do that, you'll win big in life. I mean, I, that's a good sermon right there, is it not? I remember Sam Davis at First Baptist Church, Spartanburg, South Carolina, when I was 15 years old, preached a sermon that said, let the main thing be the main thing. The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. Well, that's the same thing. I just confused myself. I feel like Dr. Seuss on a drug. Somebody asked me, why uh, were you a virgin when you got married? There's only one answer. Why did my wife save herself for me? I didn't know her when she was growing up in Tipton, Georgia. Why? It's right here. I will tell you this. I, I actually love ministering to, to men who are hooked on porn. I have just so much grace and compassion for someone who, who is in that particular addiction. I don't know why. It's not been a part of my journey. But for me, I just, the, I don't know. The Father just uses me to help men grow in their identity. Even when you're not living the way you should be living, you are still seen and loved and valued by Father God. It's just when we get out of whack with principles, when we get out of alignment with principles, it brings chaos into our lives. Go all in with your first fruits with God on finances and other stuff. I want you to watch what happens. I promise you what will happen with uh, uh, Janelle and Tennyson will happen. I promise it, but it's, it's more than just money. It's, it's this right here. Well, Saul has the anointing and he just doesn't do it. He's so casual with God. God, don't ever become casual with God. When's the last time you've been in awe at how huge he is? I was talking to somebody this morning. I was talking to Sue Layton. And I said, you know, it's such, it's paradoxical. But I've written two published books on the love of the Father. And yet I've never walked in less rights in my life. Because... You watch the progression of Paul's life. He becomes a doulos. The older he gets, he becomes a love slave. He lives to only obey the one. What if you're down here to obey the Father? <laughs> you don't hear talk like this much anymore. We bring our request unto the Lord and ask him to bless him. Why don't you just come to the Father and say, what is it that you're commanding me to do? When you don't have any rights, you're actually happier. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. If you want to read about that, it's around Deuteronomy 28. They were coming out of Egypt. The Amalekites attacked the Israelites and God had a really, 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 really good memory. Many of you have gone through seasons in your life that you have forgotten about and the father hasn't and he wants to repay you and get revenge on your narrative from what the enemy stole from you. God forgives. I'm going to tell you something. He doesn't forget injustice when it happens to his kids. Many of you will be rewarded in this lifetime and you will be rewarded in heaven for things that you've even forgotten. God doesn't forget. He's got a great memory. Whatever injustice you've gone through, how do you not know it's not being stored up and at the proper time you will be rewarded? Amen. That's good. Yeah. 
That's the thing I was seeing this morning. This house is in a season of reward. If this is the house you belong to, I want you to watch unexplainable favor. It's because it's a season of reward. That is awesome. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all the things they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. All righty then. Okay, when the father tells me, commands me to do something that, that I can't figure out, the way you win at that is you don't ever try to figure it out. The moment I start reasoning on what it is that God's commanded me to do, I've already lost. The only answer that matters in friendship with God, because there's only one metric of friendship, that's obedience. Misdirected passion is silly. The men who flew the planes into the Twin Towers were very passionate men. Passion can be misdirected. What matters is when he told Abraham to take Isaac up to the, up the mountain, he did it. It's not Saul's job to even contemplate why this sounds so harsh. And that sounds harsh saying it. It's just not. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Tilliim and 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in the wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from around the, uh, among the Amalekites. Saul's off to a good start. And doesn't he even sound all Christ-like talking about kindness? He's using the right language. A lot of people that just say, well, you know, love doesn't look like that. Well, love looks like obedience is what love looks like. It looks like obedience. You, 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 you can spend love to look like something, you being completely disobedient, and it, sound like, it sounds like it's God when God's saying, I, I, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. This is where Saul makes a turn. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Since when did Jehovah tell him to do that? If you have any thought in you that just because you're in the new covenant that his commandments have passed away or that they're no longer as important as they were back then, I'm already in a miss... It's a wrong paradigm. It doesn't go well for him. And he's got that big old beautiful anointing. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Do you know that there are things in your life that God will ask you to destroy, and it's never people. It's principalities behind people. It's wicked spirits. It's demonic behind people. And I have noticed that only a few are really prepared to go all in with what the Father is asking them to do. I'm serious. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in conversations with people and he gave them something to do and they reasoned their way out of it. And I think that 99% of obedience with the Father is disobedience. And that sounds harsh, but there is grace to it because we're going to talk about what you do when you drop the ball. But when you, when, in this passage, to stick to exegeting this passage, God clearly, there was no ambiguity with what Samuel told him and Saul didn't do it. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. There's two principles, one from this story and one from Joshua. They both have anointings. They both have promises. Joshua's armies get destroyed and Saul's about to get destroyed even with the promise because disobedience, willing disobedience can negate what you think is covenant. You see, to be in covenant with God is to admit he's a stronger party. 
Some of that co-heir teaching has elevated us to a level of we are God. <laughs> you ain't God. There's a crown and your hands better not be on it. <laughs> no. What's Paul saying in Philippians? Consider others better than yourselves. Some of that, my best day now stuff is like, what have we done? We've returned the favor of the Father. We're making ourselves in our own image. Here's what's crazy. The lower I get, I'm actually happier. I, I don't have a five-year plan. Me, I don't. I got a today plan. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. But you know what I'm going to do? Father, I just, I love you. I worship you. I want to be with you today. I want to be present with you today. When you take your own destiny into your own hands or when you take a command he's given you and you go your own way, what will happen is he will let you go your own way and it never goes well. This is what Samuel says. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word Lord there is owner, the master, the chief, the owner, the boss. The supreme being. God gives his prophet a word. Samuel is very different from Saul. <laughs> I don't have time to go into it, but Samuel even took care of Agag. If God said it, Samuel did it. I want that to be on my epitaph. God said it, this lunatic did it. <laughs> I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as a king, for he has turned back from me following me. This can happen in the new covenant. See, a lot of people have theologies that, well, you believed in Jesus when you were 12 and everything's great. The invitation of the Bible is to follow Jesus. There is no other invitation. It is amazing some of the stuff that's preached. You, people ask me all the time, how do I know if I'm in Christ? And I say, it's simple. Are you following Jesus? And people don't like that answer because it's like, well, I mean, I want to believe in Jesus, but I kind of want to do my own thing. That, it, it's not even in here. You can't find it. God went, uh, Joshua went to God and said, I did not understand. You told me that wherever my foot went that you would give me victory. And God said, I can, I can explain to you really quickly. There's a fellow named Achan. And Joshua said, well, what, what did he do? He went and found him. And he, and he took care of the situation. To, I want to be a person like Joshua. Even in the new covenant, when, when grace is so real, I don't, want, I don't want to live my own way. I was talking to Mike Cloyes this morning. How you start is really irrelevant. If you read Pauline theology, it's how you finish. Right? I'm more concerned. Well, God used you mightily four years ago, Chad. I really don't care. I care about right now. You know where that's great for so many in this room that can hear me or online or whatever? Your past may be horrific. Your future can start right now. It really can. It can start, and that's not like get you all hyped up for a moment at the altar, but it really can. You can say, I... I, Father, I want to be like one of those disciples that Jesus sent out with 70. I'm not going to carry anything with me. Where you want me, I'll go anywhere, do anything. That is a great place to be. It is exhausting being my own God. A lot of people with anxiety, they want their own way. One of the things that I, I teach on the team I lead, I said, please don't call any team that you lead my team. Don't ever say that. Schmeagel says mine in Lord of the Rings. You should say his. I say all the time, the team that I'm currently leading. You want to know why? He could yank me out of his position in nine minutes. And you say, oh man, that just sounds like oppressive. I have never been more free in my life. Well, Samuel was not a happy camper. I greatly regret that I have made him king. He's turned back from me. It grieved Samuel. He cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul... It was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he was gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. 
Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. You can use spiritual language, and it means nothing to the Father. The language that gets the Father's attention is obedience. You really don't have to open your mouth to be loud. All you got to do is move those feet towards the direction he said. Instead of playing Simon Says, if you'll play Abba Says the rest of your life, you will win. Now, it may be uncomfortable, and you're going to have a lot of enemies being obedient to God. (laughs) There will be Eliabs that will pop out of gopher holes for the rest of your life. I'm serious. Because obedience will cost you something. I would rather have the hordes of hell against me the rest of my life and me be obedient to the end than to play it safe. You know, honestly, there's a lot of people the enemy doesn't bother with because they're not a threat. If you're coming up against the enemy all the time, instead of getting so mad about it, pat yourself on the back and say, you know what, you're being obedient. Because wherever there's a person of obedience, there's, there's always naysayers and opposition. Look at Jesus. He didn't even have a day off. He's in the womb and Herod's like, where is he? He's in the womb being chased. The hordes of hell compared to Abba are nothing. We make such a big deal out of the enemy. Make God so big the way he already is. Ask God to just open your eyes to how big he is. And you'll, you'll borderline forget about problems. Thank you, Father. This is awesome. All right. Um, minute and a half. All right. Hey, blessed are you, Prophet Samuel. What a great day to see you. Bless the Lord, brother. I perform the commandment of the Lord. Are you sure about that? You see that? Yeah, sleazy that is. That's like Aaron spinning those earrings, turning into gold as though it was a spiritual exercise. Can we ask downstairs if I can have about four more minutes? But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And then Saul's probably internally thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Down to verse 21, but the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, brace thyself, brother. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness is having to get my way when I want it and how I want it. You see what the, I mean, the principle here still applies. Why would Jesus tell us in Matthew 28 to obey his commands? There are a lot of the first fruit stuff that we're casual about. Heaven's not casual about it. What if you're locking up God in your life and heaven over your life because you won't go all in with first fruits? Give him one Sabbath day a week and watch what happens into your life. Go read books on Sabbath. Give him the first day of the month. A couple of years ago, I never thought I would do this, but I gave him the first 40 days of, of the year, and I didn't eat for 40 days. I'm telling you, it did something to me. When you give God your first, he'll give you his bunch. If you give him his second, a lot of us assume that his silence is him grooming us. His silence is him not accepting what we're giving. Well, you can't teach that in the new covenant. I just did. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen people in the new covenant forfeit their destinies and then spin it in 20 different ways because of a lack of obedience to what he has for us to do. I'm so grateful for Carol Arnott 
She's married to John or not. They wrote a book recently, The Coming Glory. There's a chapter in her book talking about what this next move of God's going to be. And she believes with her whole heart it's going to be about the fear of the Lord. I could not agree more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's what's great. It's not self-deprecation. And this is what boggles my mind. The story of Tennyson and Janelle this morning and Stephen. When you do that with him, he can't help himself. He wants to give you more of him. (laughs) Think about this. Think about this as a, a time tithe. Give him the first of your days, your month, and your year. Watch what he gives you in return. It's just awesome. It's, it's awesome if friendship has to look like something. Here's what it looks like. It just looks like obedience. It was real in the Old Covenant. It's real in the New Covenant. In John 6, a bunch of disciples desert Jesus. He looks at his number one disciple, his number one guy, and says, you're going to leave me too? He gave him the option because in true love, there is no control. The Father's not going to control you. Now, he may pick a David in your shepherd's field when you mess up. There's always someone waiting in your shepherd's field because David was right around the corner with Saul. It says, Samuel says, he would have enthrone you in power forever, but you were disobedient. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask our prayer service to come down. You may be in a place in life where you're just like, you know what? I'm tired of doing it my way. Stubbornness may be your idol. I just want to encourage you. If there's anything you need to get right between you and the father this morning, take this opportunity to do that. In the name of Jesus, I bless this house that we would receive love from the Father all the days of our lives and grow in obedience at the same time. And if you've blown it, well, just know that his grace is real. He's, he's showing me a picture right now. That story that the Lord told, when the, when the prodigal came to his senses, the father pounced on it. The father will let us go our own way and have our own stubborn way, but he's, it's only one glance away from us saying, Daddy, what have I done? His grace will pick you back up. I bless you with courage to be the obedient ones. May the fear of the Lord be the beginning of your wisdom. Go in peace. God bless.